We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. While you're finding your place, as we return to the text that we introduced last Sunday morning, let me just remind you that you and I have not come to Sinai, we have come to Sion, not Sinai, Sion, not Sinai, Sion, say it, not Sinai, Sion. One more time. Not Sinai, Sion. And the outline again this morning, even for me, is unusual in that I'm using three questions from my young sons years ago in the back seat of the car while traveling. Those questions went like this. Dad, where are we? You tell them. Does anybody live here we know? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And then finally, Dad, what is this place known for? Every place, it seems, is known for something. Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Sinai. Those words are all about Mount Sinai. Verse 22. But, Ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Father, this morning we are happy to return to this text. It has invoked in us the strongest of appreciations, the strongest of thanksgivings, the strongest of blessings to consider the great thing that you have done for us in Jesus Christ and the glorious time in which we now live. No better time to be alive on earth 
then right here and right now. And we pray today that the text of Scripture would confirm those thoughts and many more in us as your people on this Lord's Day morning. And for that, we will praise you, for we do pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. In the King's English, the mountain in which the New Testament believer is said to come is called Sion. Verse 22. Mount Hermon is likewise called Sion in the King's English in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And that is why it is more often, Sion is more often called in our day Zion, as in we're marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God. I remind you that as we return to this text, there's a contrast between Sinai and Sion, and that the contrast between the two mountains is developed to demonstrate the superior position of the New Testament believer in Christ in order to understand the necessity that we endure in our faith. Sinai, physical. Sion, spiritual. Sinai, earthly. Sion, heavenly. Sinai, the law. Sion, the Lord. Sinai, the old covenant. Sion, the new covenant. Sinai, Moses. Sion, Jesus. We have come, ultimately, to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The believer is clearly stated to have not come, verse 18, to Sinai, but to Zion, verse 22. Mount Sinai was that physical mount to which God led the Jewish nation after the exodus from Egypt to reveal himself and to establish the old covenant under Moses. The experience of Israel in coming to the mountain was frightful, scary, we would say. So scary was it that the people desired to never again hear from God directly. So said verse 19 of our text. And even Moses, we are told, trembled in fear, verse 22. Now it's going to do us well to have as a background in our understanding a little bit of reminder as to the experience of Israel at Sinai, And so quickly turn with me to Exodus chapter 19, and I will read for you beginning at verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter concerning the experience of Israel when coming to Sinai. Exodus 19, 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. What mount? Sinai. And the voice of the trumpet, exceeding loud, I like that part, exceeding loud, I like that part, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. 
And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part, the hind part, the backside of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, I was traveling during the days that I was on the road. I used to tell people that as a preacher, I've always been loud and I've always been long. And I told them that if, if they would put up with loud, I'd give up on long. And most people were happy with that. And so I did, I just go from there. I've quit saying that here. You know me by now. But nonetheless, those things are still generally true. But uh, nonetheless, I like this part about that trumpet getting louder and louder, and you could not ignore uh, that something absolutely dramatic was about to take place, and the whole place was shaking. I thought about, it'd be nice sometime to have a church on, a, on one of those uh, uh, Quaker type of a platform so you could shake the whole congregation when you needed to, you know, which for me would be about every week. But nonetheless, uh, goofy thoughts. But the scene is scary. Again, 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. All of the people heard God's voice directly. And once they did, they said, no more of that. Please. No more of that. Why? We die. 21. And the Lord... I'm sorry, verse 20. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away with thee, get down. And thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron, with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. That moment was so scary, it was so overwhelming, that the congregation of Israel never wanted to experience that again. And when Moses came down from the mountain and said, God said, I can hear from him, I'll come and tell you whatever he wants, and the people said, that'd be great, whatever you say, we'll do. Whatever you say, we'll do. Of course, whatever he said, they didn't do, but nonetheless, they said, whatever you say, we'll do. But it was a scary experience at Mount Sinai. To be sure, back to Hebrews 12, the revelation and response at Sinai is held in contrast to the revelation and response at Zion 
in our text, demonstrating the difference between the Old Testament and the law and the new, underscoring the great advantage of our specified faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Sinai and the revelation of the law pushed God's people away. But Zion and the revelation of the Lord pulls God's people near. Sinai pushed. Zion pulls. Sinai forbids. Zion invites. Sinai symbolizes the law. Zion symbolizes grace, the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And so we're returning this morning to the three questions of my young boys during our traveling days of ministry to help us walk through the blessedness of our advantage in Christ. Dad, where are we? Is there anybody here we know? What is this place known for? And so this morning we pause, as we introduced last week, to ask and answer these three questions. Question number one, Holy Father in heaven, where are we? Look again at verse 22. But we are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The believer in Jesus has come to the city of the living God, the very same city that Abraham, by faith, longed to see, whose builder and maker is God. Psalm 133.3 tells us that God commanded that Zion would be a place of blessing and life. And it is to the Mount of Blessing, to the City of Peace, to which the believer in Jesus Christ has come. It is into this place of heavenly blessing and life that the God-man, on our behalf, has been duly seated. It is clear again in this that the writer to the Hebrews addresses the Hebrews as believers, saying to them, Ye are come, meaning you have come to Christ. Just as earthly Jerusalem was the seat of power for all governmental and religious life for the Jewish nation under the Old Covenant, so this heavenly city, this new Jerusalem, is the center of divine government and authority in the new covenant. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul tells us that believers are citizens of heaven, this heavenly city of God, to which we come by faith in Christ. The heavenly Jerusalem is not populated with those who try to gain favor with God by law-keeping, but those who are saved by grace 
through faith. In Ephesians chapter 1, we are told that the believer in Christ is even now seated in the heavenlies. This is the place above, where the believer's mind and affections are to be set. The believer on earth has indeed come to this place, although is not yet in this place in the flesh or personally. Nonetheless, the scripture says, ye are come to Mount Sion. Second question, Holy Father in heaven, does anyone live here? We know. Glad you asked. Last part of 22. To an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, who lives, who will live, who does live, in this glorious Mount Sion. The current inhabitants list is astounding. Beginning at verse 22, we read that in this heavenly mount, this city of God are a, quote, innumerable company of angels. These elect spirit messengers and ministers of God inhabit the place where the unique presence of God abides. They are those that carry out God's will. They are those that minister to God's people on earth in ways unperceived. Uh, the Greek word for innumerable here yields the English in translation myriad to a myriad of angels. Countless ministering angels occupy God's heavenly Mount Zion. Dad, is there anybody else here we know? Well, secondly, this is the place where the true church triumphant dwells. The general assembly in this heavenly Jerusalem is a festal gathering of all the elect. Some of the church are already there, having in physical death vacated their body and entered the presence of their Lord. Others, like us, are yet to arrive. The description of the New Testament saints in this verse intrigues me because of the title, Church of the Firstborn. Without looking, I would have guessed that Ecclesia Church of the Firstborn would be capital F, Firstborn, and rightly understood as Jesus Christ. Because, of course, he did say that he would build his church and, of course, is building it and has built it. But interestingly, the word firstborn in that description, church of the firstborn, is not singular in reference to Christ, but rather plural in reference to Christians. In Christ, the whole family of God is named. Every believer's name 
is written in the heavenly book of life. My record of birth is registered in the state of Michigan, but my record of new birth is registered in heaven. Now, if you want a mind-bending thought, think of this. Concerning my birth, we'd have to talk about May 18, 1955. And soon thereafter, the register was placed in the records in Bay County, Michigan. But when it comes to my new birth in Christ, I have everlasting life in Jesus Christ, my Lord. My life in Christ is everlasting. When did it start? When does it end? Wow. That's a mind bender. In spite of the use of the term church by some of our friends, we know that that term does not refer to Old Testament saints like Daniel and David, but indeed refers to all those called out of this world into God's family between the ascension of Christ and his glorious return. And so as we ask and answer, does anybody live there? We know we hear about angels and we hear about church saints who have vacated their bodies, absent from the body, and are what? Present with the Lord. Thirdly, and obviously, God the Father is there. We are those that have come to the Father in the only way possible to come to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God, the judge of all, occupies the heavenly mount, this heavenly Jerusalem, and again, remember the contrast. At Sinai, God was unapproachable. But in Zion, we come to him boldly because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Heaven is the abode of God. Heaven is the abode of the angels of God. Heaven is the abode of the church triumphant. And... Fourthly, who lives here? The spirits of just men made complete, says the text. It's reference to Old Testament saints like Abraham and David and Daniel. Those people trusted God awaiting the advent of Christ, the promise of Christ. And they had to wait ultimately for the death and the resurrection of Christ before they could be glorified. They too inhabit this heavenly mount and city of God. What a grand and glorious gathering there is and there is to be. The heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Sion, the place of elect angels, the place of the elect church, the place of God, the judge of all, 
the place of, the place of Old Testament saints. Before the Lord their God. And last, but truly first, we have in verse 24, and to Jesus. We've come to Jesus. The mediator of the new covenant is at Mount Zion, the beautiful city of God, right now. He's there, seated on the Father's right hand. This is the place of our Lord and Savior. Soon we know He will come again and receive us unto Himself, that where He is, we may be forever. Zion is our heavenly home. This is the place to which we have come, and I know far more people there than I know here. I'm just saying. I know far more people there than I know here. So please understand what a joy it'll be to enter the presence of the Lord and be with all of those family members. And I'm not talking about people named Teal necessarily. I wish that were true. It's not true. But I am talking about being at home with my family people over generations that have heard and believed the word of God. Jesus Christ himself said that is the definition of his family. The last question that we ask and answer this morning is, Holy Father in heaven, what is this place known for? It is known for the agreement between God and man by blood, the very blood of Christ. And to Jesus, the mediator, verse 24, of the new covenant, the New Testament, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Heaven, the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion is known for the blood-stained message of Jesus Christ, the blood that forever speaks of our justification and family right to live at home with God. Previously, we were told of Abel's blood that cried out to God for justice after he was murdered. But herein the blood of the crucified Jesus cries out to the ears of God the Father of our family standing in his righteousness. His blood speaks of my standing of your standing as a believer in Christ's righteousness. And on that basis, we freely talk to God now. And we expect to forever be with God and the company of saints and angels because of the blood cry of Jesus as shed once and for all at the cross. 
Every person, think of this, every person will be judged before God by the Old Testament revelation of the law. And some will additionally be judged by the New Testament revelation in the Lord. It would be fair to ask a person, I know you're going to be judged by God, but will we be judged by God by his law or by his grace? Will you be judged by God's law alone or by by God's grace? Will you be judged by God's law, as all men will be judged by God's law, or will you be judged, uh, in addition, by God's Lord, by God's grace, by God's Christ? The law, like the blood of Abel, murdered Abel, continues to cry out. The law, the blood of the law, the blood of animals, continues to cry out for justice, for justice, for justice. God's cry out of heaven uh, under the law is for justice, for justice in my case, for justice in your case, for justice in the case of every man. And if that's the only blood that is heard in heaven concerning you or me, you and I are condemned already. But the blood of Christ shed at Calvary for crimes he did not commit. Or in the simplicity of the gospel we preach, we say Christ died for our sins. And because he died for our sins, because his blood was shed for us, then his blood cries out perpetually in the case of the believer, not for God's justice, but for our justification. The law cries out for justice. The blood of Christ cries out for justification. And those that express faith in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ know themselves to be declared righteous in Him. They are justified by nature of their relationship with him. The Jewish believers, with these awesome reminders, are then going to be commanded to endure in their faith and strengthen their faith and activate their faith. They were to discern the difference between Sinai and Zion, between that which is physical and that which is spiritual, between that which is about the law and that which is about the Lord, between the difference of justice, God must have justice, for he is God. But there's a difference between justice and justification. And while the wages of sin are death, the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the blood of the mediator, Jesus, seated in heaven, speaks as to my right and your right as a believer to address God directly. The blood of Jesus, the truth of Zion, does not push us away from thrice holy God. Why, the blood of Jesus draws us near thrice holy God. Out of the recognition of this difference comes the appeal for you and me to endure. Out of this awesome reality in Christ flows our devotion and our discretion during the days of our earthly sojourn. We are not there yet in the flesh, but surely you can see where we're going. And you and I are said in the scripture not have to have come to Sinai, thank God for that. You and I have come to Zion. You and I have come to Christ. And he is the mediator, capital M, of that new covenant in his blood, whereby we are given right to God as our Father, which art in heaven. And that we are encouraged to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of of need. I want you to see, before we quit this morning, just the first four words of the next verse. Look at it. See that ye refuse. I guess we should add the fifth. Not. See that ye refuse not. You are asked to draw upon your understanding of biblical history, that when the congregation of Israel actually heard with their own physical ears uh, the awesome timber and volume of the voice of Almighty God at Zion, they said, no more, or it'll kill us. Let Moses go up there and get it and bring it down to But we've not come to Zion, to Sinai. We've come to Zion. We've come to Jesus, who shed his own blood that we might have direct access and welcome before God, the judge of all. Now, the last thing I want to show you, and I'll just show you, and then I'll be done, is that all of that, all of that, all of that, all of that, which is now a reality, had been prophesied hundreds and thousands of years before. Let's end this morning where we'll begin next week, and that is in Deuteronomy Chapter 18, verse 15 
16, 17, and 18. We end this morning with Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18. And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, said Moses. Unto him ye shall hearken according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, said Moses, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Who is that? Jesus. And so way, 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 way back, when God first talked to Moses at Sinai, he made it absolutely clear that he was going to speak finally in culmination in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus. And to Jesus we have come and his blood cries out for our justification. And I just say, I'm just saying, do you understand why? Now for months and months and months, while preaching in Hebrews, we end each week by singing, Hey, let's talk about Jesus. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the one that we must not refuse to hear. More of that next week. Father, help us now to be a responsive people to the truth of Christ with which we end this hour. And for that, we will praise you in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.